if you saw me performing, you would think I was fine. But inside, I'm like, I'm going to die. This better be over soon. I can't take this. Holy crap, I'm going to have a heart attack. And if I had not gotten over that by the time this, you know, tragic myth happened, I don't know what I would have done. You're listening to the Audio Brew Podcast, the podcast for people who make music. Naomi and I are speaking with a very special guest from New York. She'll be sharing with us how she found success as an artist and on social media. How she is overcoming stereotypes as a music producer and artist. And you'll hear about another epic gear failure and a brilliant save. Today we are talking with producer and recording artist Aradia. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? We are fantastic. We came across your your music online and on social media. We just fell in love with it and fell in love with what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so we wanted to talk to you, introduce you to our audience, let them get to know you and what it is you're doing in music. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. If there's one thing that you would think is the most beneficial thing that you could share with our audience, what would that be? One of the most beneficial lessons that I've learned myself in sort of recent months and over the past couple of years when it comes to social media is the importance of true authenticity. And I know that that's an overloaded term, I think, especially these days. But I went through a long journey of experimenting on social media and following the advice of industry people and uh, PR folks and um, other sort of consultants and managers who were guiding me to post in a very specific way, talking about specific topics and really aiming to build a brand. And I was very confused by that whole process, uh, so much so that eventually I completely dropped off social media for uh, personal reasons, to focus on personal growth and also to sort of figure out where I was as a musician and as a person overall. Um, and where I was going next. And after I took that break, it, I know it sounds very simplistic, but it sort of was a revelation for me to realize, oh, I actually, I have things I want to say. I might not know whether anybody is going to find these things helpful or important or interesting at all, but there is a set of things that I want to talk about. And I do want to talk about them to the world. I feel like it's important to share um, and, you know, hoping that people will connect with it and it'll help them in some way. And I'm just going to do that. That's just, that's what I'm going to do on social media. And I just started to share sort of my daily thoughts on, uh, personal growth. And especially as it pertains to myself as a, a developing artist and producer and share insights that I've picked up over time by studying different, uh, personal growth you know, teachers out there and, you know, reading tons of books and doing lots of meditation and looking inward and, and just sort of trying to be better every day. So I feel like if you're going to be out there as an artist or anyone who's putting themselves out there on social media, the best thing you can do is just share your gift with the world, whatever your gift is. If your gift is doing acoustic covers of pop songs, then, you know, share that all the time. If your gift is making people laugh, share that. If your gift is breaking down complex situations and simplifying them, share that, especially if it's satisfying to you to do that. If it's satisfying to you and it's something that people connect with, 
don't do it because people connect with it or because you think they will do it because it's something that's natural for you and you want to share it with the world and engage from there. That, yeah, makes me think of that be your own brand. Is <laughs> kind yeah. of what that, what that brings <laughs> to the front. It's like, you know, when you're actually authentically being yourself um, and not trying to be something you're not, you're essentially being your own brand. And to me, that builds rapport. You're absolutely right. I totally agree. And likewise, I think when we came across you online and on Instagram in particular, the first thing that kind of stood out was, here's somebody who's a unique artist who's not doing what everybody else is doing, but what she's doing is is really good. Wow. I really appreciate that. It wasn't another artist trying to be somebody else or just trying to be the next generic pop star, if you will. That means a lot to me. I really, really do deeply appreciate that. You know, I, I remember some conversations that I've had with close friends, you know, some acquaintances and others, you know, close friends. I remember a friend saying to me in Seattle, um, she was like, yeah, you know, your music's really good, but it's, you know, it's not for the masses, but, but that's okay. That's okay. And I was like, what is that? What, what does that, that even mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, yeah. And I had another acquaintance tell me that my music wasn't epic enough. And I thought was so interesting was that their comparison was definitely like, you know, mainstream pop artists. They were using examples like Pink or Lady Gaga. And I was like, oh, that's such a weird thing to say. But also it, it, it also just sort of speaks to not only is there an expectation on the part of other artists that I would be doing something mainstream or trying to be like, you know, Pink or Lady Gaga, but there's, there is that expectation when it comes to the audience as well. The bar for comparison seems to be by and large, very narrow of what I should be going for. So it's nice to hear your take on it, Tim. It's refreshing. Thank you. You are an artist. I mean, isn't that kind of the point of being an artist is to be <laughs> set apart from other people to have your own? I mean, if art was all the same, it would be really boring. I don't know that it yeah. would really technically be art anymore. I totally agree. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take an artist like Beck. You know, Beck is anything but mainstream, in my opinion. But yet he's huge. That's a great uh, example. I love him for that specific reason. Another person I like or, or group I like, um, Mike Foster, uh, Foster the People, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, falls into that. He's not as broad. Like, Beck can do anything. Yes. <laughs> Beck could, could do a rock opera, you know, and he can do like a dinky pop song and it would all be awesome. But yeah, I think there's a shortage of artists that I, I just feel like today everything it really is kind of pigeonholed you know this is your thing even if you're super underground or you know quote-unquote alternative people do kind of expect you to stay within and it's not that you have to because again Beck was wildly successful I'm sure if somebody else came along and did that sort of broad art very well they would be just as successful but uh, we just don't see a lot of that right now and I think for a lot of artists that maybe listen to this podcast, they need to hear that. They need to know that you don't have to necessarily even be as big as Beck in order to be successful. I think the latest statistic is something like you need a thousand loyal fans. Yep. And if you can focus on that instead of trying to focus on five million loyal fans, 
you know, get to that first step and then you're like, okay, this is sustainable here. Not yeah. So what you just said is so pertinent, like not just from a business perspective, but also from a, you know, you mentioned, you said the word sustainable and sustainability from an emotional perspective, as well as from a business perspective, are they're equally important and they actually do intersect if you go about it the way that you just described. So it's like saying, I'm going to go to college and everybody on campus is going to like me. Like, there's no way that that's going to happen. And the closer you get to everybody liking you, the less everybody can actually know you. There's there's so much interaction that's required today when you're an artist, whether you're independent or signed to a huge label. Like, you need to be all over it. Interacting with people on social media, your email newsletter, doing shows, the whole thing. And so how many people can you really interact with? You can't really interact with 5 million people. Maybe through tours and en masse when you're performing in front of giant audiences, but you can't on a regular basis interact with that many people. It's a lot more emotionally healthy if you can, exactly like you said, find the group of people that, that really connect with what you're doing because it's a, it'll be a lot easier for you to give back to them because it resonates. You like each other, right? They like what you're doing and then you connect with them and, and you like their encouragement. And so it becomes this two-way street that's, I think, a lot more enjoyable than the way things can get when somebody is like super mega famous. Not that that's a bad thing. There's a lot more to manage. And there are a lot more interactions to manage. I definitely found that to be true is when I started to really focus on my super fans and the smaller audience of people that was constantly like commenting on my stuff and, you know, showing that encouragement and showing that it resonated with them. I put all my effort into them rather than trying to chase numbers. And magically, it, that was the time that my numbers grew <laughs> was when I stopped worrying about the numbers. And I really just started focusing on the quality of and authenticity of my content and on uh, the interactions and the quality and depth of interactions with my super fans. That's awesome. Is there anything that you could tell us about the story behind your music? And uh, I can't read your writing. <laughs> you like that okay. other thing. I'm like that <laughs> other thing right there. I can't read it. <laughs> would you would you mind telling us a little bit about the story behind your music and the genre? He's like, but really what's that word? I really can't, uh, I really this can't is me. Read this, this is me writing notes like really fast this morning. That looks like that fit into that your music fits into. Fit into because it looked okay. like hit rat. Hit rat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Oh my god. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> that's gonna be my new phrase that's so hit rat that's so hit rat that's so hit rat oh my goodness uh, yes thank you tim next time i will type these all out <laughs> uh, i didn't get very good sleep last night <laughs> no i totally get it i was I awake totally for between like two and four last night and my brain's just going like 100 miles an hour why no i hate that that happens to me all the time it's the worst i'm like shut off shut off and i yeah, won't shut off yep. I know, I know that feeling. Uh, so this morning I'm writing frantically all these questions and I'm like, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, I had really great questions for her. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. Actually, that's the topic for us. To, there's something called to sleep that everybody used to do. No, it used to be the norm before incandescent lighting was invented. Every That was when most books were written was between two and four. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try this one more time. So, Can you tell us a little bit about the story behind your music and this genre that you're kind of fitting into? And how would you describe that genre? So the, the abbreviated summary of my genre is alternative pop. Uh, that comes from actually a lot of surveying a lot of listeners um, or getting unsolicited input. You know, they're like, oh, you're not really electronic pop or electro pop, you're alternative pop. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And they gave me examples of other artists that they felt I was similar to, like uh, Marina and the Diamonds. Marina and the Diamonds, Santa Gold, and Lily Allen are all artists that I love, but I never considered myself to sound necessarily similar to, but I've heard those comparisons many times. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. The story behind the music and, and the collision of genres is that I am equally adoring of uh, like two or three different genres. So certainly first wave, new wave, and retro wave. I really love, you know, warm um, analog sounds and that those metallic shimmery synth sounds that you hear in a lot of retro wave and in um, true 80s music. I also really, really love uh, techno and house music, like real techno and house music. I, you know, no offense to the sort of current festival scene or, or artists like the late Avicii, but I'm talking about people that are more like uh, Nicole Madauber and her mentor, Carl Cox. And I love dancing to that style of music and it gets me really like excited and happy. And I also love indie rock. So I went through a few years where my music was really kind of all over the place because I couldn't decide. <laughs> and I was still very much shaping my production style and I wasn't yet gelling um, instrumentation across songs. So I spent in 2016 slash 2017, I actually spent a lot of time in the recording studio um, at the Pi Studios in Los Angeles, working with Nils Jensen, uh, a very talented um, engineer and producer. I was doing all the production work, but we were sitting side by side and I was using tons of instruments that he had in the studio and things that I was bringing on my own. I got to have the real studio experience of like, I'm in the studio recording an album, not a bunch of songs that I recorded in my home studio. Not that that's bad, right? But the mindset is so important. Going to the same place every day, that's not my regular place, and working on 10 or 11 songs and switching back and forth amongst those songs was a monumental pivot point when it came to creating consistency uh, across my songs and the instrumentation thereof. I knew that there were things that I liked and I used them all the time. There were certain sounds that I would create and recreate over and over again. And by going to the studio and working on the whole album over the course of a year, it magically happened that I repeated certain things across, you know, the whole collection of songs and, Finally, it was like, okay, this is my sound. Now it's like a definable thing that I think when people hear two different songs totally separately by me, they'll be able to tell it's me. I don't think that was true before. That is that is really powerful. Yeah, I mean, like, it was a, a huge turning point in my life because I chose to 
make the sacrifice and make the investment on that studio time. Like, despite all the other things going on in my life, I was like, I need to do this. I need to know what this feels like. And it was really a very totally magical experience for me. So clearly it was more than just an investment in your record. It was an investment in yourself and discovering yourself in the process. Perfectly said. That's precisely right. So you mentioned that you have a recording studio yourself and you are a producer. Um, Tell us a little bit about your recording studio and what you've been doing recently. Yeah, sure. So I, it's another thing. I don't know if it's specifically a woman thing, but I do see this with a lot of my friends and we, my female friends, and we've talked about this a lot is that it's sort of difficult for us to invest in ourselves. And I think we often feel frivolous or we're committing frivolous acts when we (laughs) um, spend money on things that we want and, or need. So that was another thing that I had to get over was like, Oh, I don't really need that thing. I can make music with what I have. Um, I don't have the $800 to buy that, whatever it is right now. I can't remember exactly what moment it was that, but there was definitely a moment, something happened, a conversation with someone or uh, something that, you know, kind of really made it click for me. And I finally started to spend more money on my studio. I already knew about gear. My dad's a musician and I grew up around tons of, you know, electronic equipment and, and instruments and everything. So it wasn't that I didn't understand what I needed. I just wasn't ready to take the plunge there. I've worked for the last, I'd say, three and a half, four years to really build out my studio. I use Ableton as my main DAW. I have a bunch of synths that I use um, every day to create my sounds. I have a Nord Lead A1, um, a vintage chord guitar, and an old school um, Yamaha S30. You know, they're my babies and I love them. And I've got my American made Fender Stratocaster. And, you know, so it's a mix of real instruments and electronic instruments. Bought myself a good microphone. The blue uh, baby bottle microphone that I have is, is excellent. Uh, But I'll say there's one thing that as a home studio recording artist, I think is the best purchase that I've ever made when it comes to recording, not like instruments, but like recording gear is the chaotic eyeball. I'm not being paid to advertise for them, I swear. (laughs) But um, I went to the ASCAP Expo a few years ago and they had... Uh, there was somebody there with the Chaotica eyeball. For the artists out there who, who don't know or have heard of it and thought it was too expensive or whatever, I can record vocals with my air conditioner running like right next to me, like, you know, five feet away from me. And you will not hear any background noise. There is no buzz. There is no air, like, you know, hissing, nothing. It's just my voice. So it turns any room into a recording booth, which is amazing. I've used it for uh, voiceovers. I've done some audiobooks. In in general, what I've learned is these days there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's available for people who record at home, and it can be hard to sift through what's good and what's not. It's absolutely worth it to do research, and it's definitely worth it to buy the best gear, not the most expensive gear, but the gear that the majority of reputable artists on various forums and review sites like Fleetwater, things that the consensus is uh, that product is very good. It's definitely worth it to make that investment. I have dramatically cut down steps in my workflow and processing time for everything 
by taking that extra step and getting better equipment for myself. So it's definitely something I would urge other artists to do as well. I have seen those chaotic eyeballs and I'm sure you treat your room as well. And, you know, to cut down on some reflections, especially for when you're monitoring, of course. So it's, it's, it's a good tool for capturing the audio, but not, it doesn't necessarily help you when you're monitoring, obviously. Right. So, you know, you still need some of that room treatment and, and everything else going on, but that is way cool. Now, uh, now we're going to have to go buy one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when the guy told me the price, um, when I saw the the representative at the expo, I really thought he was kidding because for like a round, like a sphere of foam, it sounded like outlandish. But when I learned what it did and why it was priced the way it was, I was like, Oh, let me, let me try it. Um, cause it was, it was literally the choice between I'm going to have to go to the studio um, and pay the, you know, the hourly rate every time I want to even lay down like some scratch vocals or I can buy this thing and see what happens. And yeah, for me, it was a totally worthwhile investment. People today don't know how good they have it with regards to home recording, home recording studios, being able to use a DAW, because I was reminiscing about cutting tape. Wow. (laughs) And like, oh, yeah, I've spliced audio together, you know, literally. It's like, why is the icon to cut the thing a a razor, you know? That's because we used to use razor blades to cut the tape, and then you would literally splice tape together. You know, we really don't know how good we have it and the sheer amount of money that it takes to build a space and get all that equipment in there. And then you're talking about spending, you know, more than you'd like to on something like the chaotic eyeball or, or some other piece of sound treatment. You're like, whoa, this is like really inexpensive and easy to do. It's true. I don't feel that there is a ton of education around how far recording technology has come because it's so easy to access. Anybody can go and download a program and start using it. There's kind of like, yeah, a a lack of knowledge around how good we have it, how easy it is to do this stuff today. On the flip side, not really a flip side, but it's sort of a related point. Having the ability to get up in the morning and get into my studio and work on a like literally the next single that I'm going to release was one that woke me up at four in the morning and was like, in you know, playing in my head and just nagging me <laughs> you know, like, and would not stop playing. I'm like, all right, fine. So I had to get up and get into the studio and do my best to get down what was playing in my head. I don't know what my life would be like if I couldn't do that. But on the other side of that, playing artist and recording engineer and producer all at the same time has its pros and cons. And one of the cons is it can be very, very difficult to get into that profoundly creative space when I'm wearing all the hats. Mm. And so what I've noticed is that when I'm recording my vocals, for some reason, I don't know if this is true for you know other vocalists out there, but for me, for some reason, it's very difficult for me to get into the meaning of the song and to get in, it's almost like, you know, an actor showing up in front of the camera, they have to like become their character. And I can't imagine how people do it if they're directing and acting, although I know people do. For me, it feels similar. It's like I have to direct myself and produce myself, but I also have to step into the space of, of the song that I wrote at some point when it meant whatever it meant to me. But now trying to get back into that space 
and really perform that song the way it deserves to be performed, that's actually quite challenging for me to do. I have found myself doing take after take after take after take, walking away, coming back another day. And I work with um, an engineer named Tony Black, who's amazing and his work. He's worked with many um, very famous artists. And I was lucky enough to go do a vocal session in studio with him not long before the whole crisis. And it was amazing. Like I came in, he stood me up in, in you know, the recording area booth and uh, told me what to do. <laughs> I sang it and I, you know, got the whole thing down in like three takes. And it was by far the best vocal performance that I had done in the studio in as long as I could remember. Mm. And it was just by virtue of not having to do everything myself. That was like a huge part of it. But then there was the other side of it where he's giving me direction. Of course, that's invaluable for a vocalist to have somebody telling you like, do that again. That didn't sound so great. Cause you can't hear yourself the way that other people can hear you as wonderful as it is to record at home, having access. Like that's one of the things that I'm really missing right now during this whole crisis is being able to go into the studio and work. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to have that unbiased third party that's involved in that, keeping you focused on what's important, which is getting the song down and not having to worry about, you know, oh, I'm going to have to go back to this part and make an adjustment here or do something there or re-record this part here. You just get to go in and do what you do, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we understand that. We put on the engineering hat all the time here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's hard to take it back off and, and actually release a song. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. It's, it's exactly right. Things take, can, they can take forever. Yes. Because um, it's hard to just let it go. Yeah. And I think we're just so much more critical of our own engineering skills, too, and listening to our own music. You just, I don't know, you get into this headspace where you're like, I've got to get it right. It's got to be perfect. And, or we second guess ourselves. And second guess, yeah. Yes. The perfectionism thing is, is a real thing. Since my session at Tony's studio, I tried to reflect on the, like what I got out of that session and the types of feedback that he gave me so that I could get away from the overly critical, obsessive kind of thinking and think more like a vocal coach would. So I joke around with him. Like I can hear, I can hear you saying to me when I'm recording for myself now, why are you holding that note so long? Do you have to hold it so long? <laughs> what, why are you singing that part that way? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, like, oh, yeah. That's how I but heard it's it in good, my head, but it's not right. Right, right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So now it, may, it definitely makes me question my phrasing, like the things that I should be questioning. Am I really in the groove? Am I really singing this with feeling <laughs> instead of singing it through the eyes of perfectionism? Singing it with feeling is so much more important. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's definitely helps me um, keep myself in, in check with the types of things I'm focusing on when I'm recording alone now. Yeah. We started talking about the experiences that you've had as a female artist in the music industry today. Can you share a couple of things with us, good or bad, about being a female artist and producer in the music industry? Yeah, it's, it's a topic that's really important to me. Part of what I do as a human being in life as I I mentor as as much as possible definitely want to share my knowledge especially with like young female artists and producers who are are looking to expand their horizons 
and I've always been passionate about, you know, equality and all of that, but I'm, I'm even more passionate about it now because of some of the experiences I had. It was a regular occurrence for me when I would perform, and this was in different cities, Seattle, um, Los Angeles, New York, where invariably at the end of the show, I would get off stage and somebody in the audience would say, oh, like, you know, great show. Like, who does your music? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, well, yeah, you know, I, I could see that you had backing tracks in addition to the instruments. Like, who makes the music? I'm like, oh, me. And like, yeah, I know. But like, who does the music? Like, who actually records the music that I'm hearing in the background? I'm like, I'm like, me. But like, yeah, but no, but who writes all the parts? And I'm like, me. <laughs> um, so like, but, but who produces it? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> And I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to be like as patient and friendly as possible, but I don't know how to tell and communicate to this person that it, I'm telling the truth. And it really is all me. I'm sitting down and playing all the instruments and I'm writing everything and I'm programming all the drums and drawing all the MIDI lines in there for where I want every beat and instrument to go and all of that, you know, and I used to feel like I was, you know, maybe being a little bit, bit of a jerk, but if I was constantly highlighting that I'm my own producer and I, you know, not too long ago, got over that. I'm like, no, I think, you know, number one, it's true. <laughs> I did produce the music. <laughs> number two, I want to encourage people, male or female. It's great if you can work with a producer that you love working with. And if you don't want to be a producer, when I quote unquote, write a song, I hear the entire thing in my head. It's not like I sit down and I write the lyrics and I play it on a guitar and then I start fleshing out. No, like I have to figure out what sound I'm hearing in my head on my keyboard, on my synthesizer. Yeah. Um, it's, it's already there. I want people who function like I do or who want to function more like I do, or who just have that passion for building the whole composition on their own to know that they can do it themselves. Um, if they're willing to put the time into it, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot to learn, a lot to improve. And it's, you're always learning. You're always improving. I share often that I um, produce my own music to encourage um, everybody, but especially women. It is very often assumed that female artists have a producer, that they um, are just performing the music. They're not even writing the lyrics. I'm not saying that's never true, but I think it's really interesting that people assume that Ed Sheeran writes all his music. Yeah. But, you know, some, you know, equivalent female artist definitely has a producer behind her writing all her stuff. A lot of people don't realize that many of the biggest songwriters, you know, that are writing for some of the biggest pop artists out there right now, a lot of them are female. Sia is a great example. She was writing for people for years. Nobody knew who she was. But I've talked to just as many people who assume that those songs are must be written by a man. <laughs> um, and it's no offense to guys. It's just like, you know, this behind the scenes thing where it's like, you know, women are doing all this stuff behind the scenes and nobody knows about it. I'm like, that's not okay with me. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be loud about what I do. No, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is good. And it's definitely a stereotype that kind of needs to be broken and broken down because it's it's just not the reality of the situation in a lot of instances where it's, it's easier to, you know, peg somebody and say, hey, this person, uh, I heard a beep. <laughs> no. um, oh, sorry. Oh, that was me. I was like, 
is everything okay? Oh my, yeah. <laughs> I was on the phone with the coworker the other day and the fire alarm started going off in his, in his apartment. Uh, oh no. But, so I was like, I was like, do you need to get out of there? <laughs> He's like, no, something's wrong with the system. We can't figure it out. I'm just going to stay here. And oh working. no. <laughs> oh wow that sounds oh. annoying yeah but, but yes uh this is definitely a stereotype that kind of needs to be broken a lot of women work in music yeah and it's i think it's kind of amazing because i'm guilty of it too i've got to be honest i was listening to npr and the show they were doing uh was about carol king i studied music um i didn't study you know pop music in college but i was in conservatory and through that experience, I learned a lot about, you know, the music industry and modern songwriters just be, just by virtue of being there. I learned nothing about women uh, songwriters or women in music at that time. I often joke I've learned more about women's history from the show Drunk History than from any, like, class I've ever taken or, or set of books that I've read. Um, Bravo, Drunk History for... Uh, highlighting so many uh, women in history stories. So I didn't really know a lot or anything about Carol King. And I'm listening to this show and they played, I don't know how many songs by her performed by her. Like every song I was like, wait, she wrote that was made famous by a male performer, but it was written by this genius woman songwriter. I don't know how many songs they must have played like 12 songs in a row that I was like, Oh my God, she wrote that. I had no idea. Um, (laughs) And I'm, I'm bringing it up because it's like, you know, we're not talking about somebody that was around in the year 2000, like yesterday or 20 years ago, even we're talking about somebody that was around decades ago. And we're still in a situation where we have to convince people <laughs> that women write and or produce their own music. I'm like, uh, that's, that's an insult to, uh, to Carol. I feel <laughs> she, she worked hard. Yeah. For us to get where we are. One of the things that we like to talk about and ask our guests about is what kind of experiences they've had with either a piece of gear failing at an inopportune time or a particular case where something went horribly wrong in their career and how that turned out. Oh, man. I mean, how uh, having things go horribly wrong in my career, I've had like band breakups and that led to being a solo artist, which I think was the right way. But of course, like tons of stories, but I think my favorite and most recent one. So just as a a prelude to this, I used to have like paralyzing stage fright. So you, if you saw me performing, you would think I was fine, but inside I'm like, I'm going to die. This better be over soon. I can't take this. Holy crap. I'm going to have a heart attack. And if I had not gotten over that by the time this, you know, tragic mishap happened, (laughs) I don't know what I would have done. So I was playing at, in Montreal at the Montreal Uncovered Art Gala. It's a great event run by a guy named Arthur who puts on amazing events in and around Montreal. I was invited to play. I, was, I think I was the only out-of-towner that was in that that show, but um, I had been following them for a long time, and I saw the email notifying that they were having this event, and I was like, please let me come and play. This sounds so cool. So we did a road trip, drove from New York City up there, and the uh, event was held at Theater Paradox, which is a beautiful converted cathedral or a very large church. Beautiful building. The stage was superb. The staff there was incredibly professional. So I was very excited to be performing in front of this large audience at this part of this great lineup. 
overall, it's very exciting. Did a full sound check where everything ran perfectly. I bought an, a Roland SPD-FX to, to run my backing track. I perform with a live drummer who plays an electronic kit. So I thought that would be a perfect addition to the setup to have some additional supplemental drum sounds as well as the backing track. So um, Eric, the drummer, will uh, trigger the backing track. We tested all of this. Everything was fine. We triple-checked everything. Then we get on stage when it's our turn to play, and there's, like, a really big crowd out there. And I'm, of course, very nervous, but I'm breathing. So we have a click track that Eric is supposed to hear only through his headphones. And I, to this day, cannot explain how or why this happened. But suddenly, um, a little bit into the first verse of the song, I notice that I can hear the click track. And it's very loud. <laughs> and it's like a weird, it's like a weird sound that doesn't go. It's like a woodblock sound that I put in there that doesn't go at all with the song. And it's this like groovy kind of electro tango song. And there's this dun, 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 dun going on, oh, no. like over everything. And I'm like, okay, no problem. <clears throat> but then somehow the click and the backing track are now off from one another. Oh, that's horrifying. Uh, I, just, I, I, yep. And so I keep singing, but wait, there's more. The backing track now, completely off time from the click track, starts skipping. Oh no! And and I'm I'm like, oh oh man, this can't be happening. It's the first song, like you know. So all the things are running through my head, like, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna have a heart attack? How am I gonna cover this up? So I decided. Well, there they had um, because it was an art gala. They had painters and photographers, and they even had some some uh, jewelry makers out on the floor where the audience was uh, so that you could mill around and, and buy, you know, paintings if you wanted to or jewelry. And I had bought some bracelets earlier. So I'm like, I was, I raised my hand, you know, to, I was dancing and I glanced at my wrist and I'm like, Oh, bracelets. Okay. So I started telling the audience about the wonderful jeweler that I met on the floor earlier and how they should check out their, her jewelry and how um, there are all these great, you know, artists here and I talked to this person and that person, um, this artist and that artist, and you should check out their stuff. And what a great honor it is to be here and how I drove all the way up here from New York. And I'm just like talking <laughs> while Eric is, Eric is back there completely having a coronary. And finally, he stops the whole song <clears throat> and starts it again. And then I just started singing from the top and took it from there. And we didn't have any other <laughs> mishaps, but that... That was a harrowing moment of Ooh. is the right like is the whole show going to be like this or are we going to get past this this terrifying moment? And I sur- I survived. It sounded like a giant train wreck. <laughs> it really it totally was, and to this day, I don't know if anybody in the audience like really knew what happened. I definitely saw some perplexed looks. Uh, but I just, you know, kept my, my talking very animated <laughs> to distract them. And it seems to have worked. <laughs> oh, what a good save. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Thanks. Yes. I have to thank, I have to thank Eric for like, you know, going with it, not, not uh, throwing his sticks into the audience and storming off the stage. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've seen that before. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you guys yeah. kept your cool. I've seen Thank everything you. from guitars and, and microphones thrown on the floor and people walking off stage for a lot wow. more minor issues than what you had. So. <laughs> 
That makes me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's kind of cool to see, though. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to save those <laughs> discussions for later. I don't want to embarrass anybody on the podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Anyways, oh, before we get off of the phone with you, let's actually talk about some of the new releases that you've had come out recently and one that you're looking at having come out here in the fall. Yeah, thanks. Back in, at the end of May, I released a song called Out of the Blue. That song is very close to my heart. It was one that I wrote and put out very quickly. I didn't even really think about it or rework it, you know, a million times like I usually do. Because I felt a sort of sense of urgency around it because it speaks to the the tensions right now and the state of the world and, and sort of the crisis that we're all going through and feeling the pain from no matter where we are or what our situation. And it carries a message of, you know, support, connection and togetherness that I think we all really need to feel in order to get through to better days. After that, in around the middle of July, uh, on July 10th, I released a song called Become One that is definitely a summery, tropical vibe tune that is more romantic and dancey. I wanted to share something uplifting and summery with my listeners this summer, sort of lift some spirits with that. The song that woke me up at about four o'clock in the morning, playing with all of the instrumentation and the vocals and, and everything, it was about maybe two months ago. It's called Fire, and I am finalizing that song right now. Definitely an uplifting, sort of groovy, I think it has like a new disco vibe. That song will be coming out before the holidays at some point. Where would our listeners be able to locate your music? So if you go to my website, aradiamusic.com, you can see my new releases listed there and all the ways that you can follow me on social media. I'm very active on Instagram. So if anybody's interested in sort of reading my reading my thoughts and my day-to-day journey as an artist and getting updates about my music and releases, they can definitely follow me on Instagram for that. But you can always refer to my website, aradiamusic.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter on there as well to get updates. I don't spam and I don't email every week or anything like that, but you know, just to let people stay in touch. The only other thing that I would say, and I know this might sound like maybe cheesy or cliched, is that, you know... As long as you love making music and as long as it's part of who you are and that's why you're, you continue to do it or why, why you're chasing some you know, dream or goal, just keep doing it because it really is about, number one, like doing the thing that's true to you and sharing your gifts with the world. And it's also about continuing to evolve as a person and and by virtue of that you grow as an artist and it's about persistence Mm. as long as you're willing to remain flexible and keep your mind open to new things and tools and processes and you know patterns and behaviors and and practices you never know where you're going to get to next unless you just keep going so don't give up yeah well said well said excellent well thank you for being on the show Well, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and that all is safe and good in your world. Well, thank you. You too. And hopefully we'll get to have you back in the future. (laughs) Yes, anytime. I hope you would consider coming back. (laughs) Absolutely. You guys are awesome. We're going to end this episode with a song, Aradia's Become One. Dance with me. 
for taking the time to listen to this episode. Be sure to subscribe. Visit us at theaudiobrew.com, sign up for our handcrafted email, and follow us on Facebook or Twitter. You have been listening to the Audio Brew Podcast from Rockaway Beach, Oregon.